Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This week's guest is a newly minted world champion, the youngest captain in the history of Australian women's cricket, with, you'd have to say, quite a rare ability for self-assessment. Just one quality that helps make her one of the best leaders in the game. This is the Playmaker's Playbook. Hello, I'm Nick McArdle, host of the Playmaker's Playbook. If you want to be a better leader in business, sport or the everyday, or if you simply love a good story, this podcast is for you. This week's guest burst onto the international scene, scoring a century in just her second international match. At 18 years and 288 days, she is the youngest Australian to score an international ton, man or woman. But as you're about to hear, her career hasn't been without its drama. Right now, though, she's basking in the glory of another world-beating performance. This is Sky, a chance... Australian sport has been achieved by one of our greatest sporting teams. The Australian women's cricket team win their fifth T20 World Cup title in front of a magical crowd at the MCG. They've known it for a while. Meg Lanning, thanks for joining us on the Playmakers Playbook. That must seem like yesterday. Have you come down yet? Oh, I don't think so. I, I still ask myself the question about whether it actually happened or not. It was one of those nights where everything went perfectly well. Um, we couldn't have asked for a better game and the atmosphere was amazing. We, we you know, always wanted to have 90,000 people at the MCG and, and to win that World Cup and for it to actually happen was something very special, that's for sure. It must have been a really uh, emotional uh, challenging time, the the highs and the lows of that World Cup, because it didn't go entirely to plan, did it? It didn't. No, every everything that we thought would happen didn't happen. Uh, we had injuries. We had a pretty poor start from us. Uh, we had rain. Uh, everything was thrown at us that thrown at us that that possibly could have, and we were able to come through it pretty well. So it, it certainly makes it extra special that we we're able to get the job done in the end, knowing that we had to get through a fair bit to to get to that point. So this podcast is really largely about leadership. How did that test your leadership, particularly uh, given that bad start to the tournament and, and the psychological scars that that could have inflicted when you turn around and, and play India in the final again? 
Yeah, it was very testing on a, a number of fronts. Um, you know, we had to adapt a lot throughout that tournament and and really change the way that we wanted to play our cricket. We went into that series or tournament with a pretty heavy focus on pace bowling and, and our game plan really revolved around that. And we had injuries to our best, you know, our two best fast bowlers. So so that meant that we, we couldn't really use them. So I guess it, it really meant that we had to think on our feet and I had to lead the way in that uh, and make sure that, you know, I was being adaptable. Uh, I was making sure I was adjusting to the situations. And um, although I might have looked calm on the outside. I definitely it wasn't on the inside, but I think that's a really important part of leadership is is making it look like you've got things under control when when it, you might not feel like it. Uh, so I, I felt like that was the biggest challenge is just you know answering the questions from the media. There was a, a fair bit of media scrutiny around the the team as well, especially when we didn't start too well. But just being really calm in, in front of the media and and making sure that the the team really felt like um, we had things under control. Who's around the the setup with you that you really lean on in those situations to bolster your leadership, strengthen your leadership? Yeah, there's a few people. Uh, Rachel Haynes has, has been the vice captain for a number of years now, and we've formed a, a really good partnership. Uh, she's she's very good at the things that I'm not so good at. Uh, she's a very level head and um, is very experienced as well. So we work very closely together with Matthew Mott, the coach as well. Um, we formed formed a, a pretty good little team, I guess, with some different ideas and um, yeah, we sort of come together often throughout any series that we play, but especially through that World Cup, we, we spoke a lot about how we could keep the team on track and, and sort of knowing when we had to adjust little things here and there. So uh, yeah, that's probably the, the group within the squad that uh, we have the most discussion. So if Rachel's helping you at the things that you're not so good at, tell us what are the things that you're not so good at as a captain <laughs> perhaps you'd like to be better at? I think Rachel's got a really good read on the group. Um, you know, she she's very experienced and uh, has played a lot with a lot of players within the group. So I guess it's good to have different touch points within the group around um, what's working and what's not. Uh, the other thing that I think she's really good at is is taking a step back and working through things really clearly. I can at times be um, you know, a little bit quick to, to jump to do things and, and want to get it done really quickly. And I think for her to be able to just ask a couple of questions and just take a moment to, to think about things before we jump into it, I think is, is really important. She might ask a few questions along the way, but once we decide that, you know, that's what we're going to do, she she has my back and Anne-Modi's back as well, which I think is such an important part of leadership. Is that a, a great challenge for really good leaders to know what they don't know, uh, to understand that, you know, uh, that there are things that they might not be terribly strong at and, and to look to others? Oh, I think it's really important and it's something that I've learnt along the way. Uh, I think at the time when I first sort of took over as, as captain, um, you know, I probably had that perception that I needed to control everything and I was in charge, I guess. But what I have learnt along the way is that you can't be good at everything and, and you can't be in control of everything. And, and if you've got people beside you who can help you in those areas where perhaps you feel like you're not not as good then that's only going to help yourself as a leader but also the team and, and being able to embrace that's really important I think um, it, it makes a, a stronger team and uh, yeah it sort of took a little bit to get used to for me but uh, I'm having you know, full faith in in Rach um, in what her messages are to the group and, and we're on the same page all the time so we've got a really good partnership. You were, I think, the youngest Australian captain when you when you came to the captaincy. What was that, 2014 during the Ashes? You were 21. Were you ready to be captain of your country at 21 years of age? 
Uh, no, I definitely wasn't. Um, and it all happened very quickly, to be honest. I mean, I hadn't even thought about leadership or anything like that. I, I hadn't done any any leadership growing up, never even thought about it. And, uh, you know, I guess the first thing um, that happened was I got named vice-captain of the Australian team. And I think the view was to have me as vice-captain for a little bit for Jodie Fields and, you know, perhaps then to move into the, the captaincy role down the track. But that all happened pretty quick because, unfortunately, Jodie uh, injured her finger, I think, second game into um, that first series where I was vice-captain and uh, I was captain at the next game. Uh, to be honest, I had no idea what I was doing on the field, off the field. I was literally making it up because I went along a fair bit. Uh, so it was, yeah, it all happened very quickly and I didn't have any time to think about it. So I, I'd have to say I definitely wasn't ready. Okay, so how have you changed then from that moment? To now, if if uh, and sometimes you know you're not the subject isn't the best person to ask, but what would others say has changed about you? Oh, I think that the biggest thing is is probably off the field. Uh, I probably didn't realise how important it was to have those relationships with players, staff, uh, and really understand that the person behind the cricket, I think. And when I first took over the captaincy, I, I probably thought most of it was on the field and, and tactics and, and things like that. And uh, that sort of stuff came relatively, not easy, but I sort of understood the game pretty well and I felt like I could do that. But, geez, I did not know anything about the, the stuff off the field. And, and I think that's an area where I've improved a lot. I think you know I still need to keep getting better at that and working out ways to, to get the best out of people. But... Uh, I think, yeah, the biggest area of, gro- of growth for me has just been understanding other players and, and their perceptions and thoughts and, and how they think about the game and, and off the field and things like that. So, um, yeah, that's probably been the biggest area. Is that really difficult? Um, because we we all know how we live and our values and, and our beliefs. Uh, but when you're in that group environment, to be open to how others see the world, is that a... A difficult thing when you first become captain? Yeah, it is. And and as a player uh, within a, a team, you don't really think about that too often. You sort of, you're playing your role in the team, you're hanging out with the people that you want to hang out with and you're trying to win. And that's all you're really thinking about. And when you become captain, you've actually got to take in so so much other information. So, you know, you, you've got to worry about, you know, how can you get the best out of, of each individual player and everyone's so different and there's no right or wrong way and there's no one way that works for everybody. And I guess for me, it, it yeah, it was a really big challenge for me to, to sort of shift that mindset from just worrying about playing and having fun to trying to manage the, the whole team, I guess, and, and work out how they can be successful because it's such a fine line between using people's strengths and bringing them to the, the table, which is what you need to be successful. But you've also got that that line of um, it's a team sport. So, you know, there's certain things that you need to do as well. So just getting that balance right is, is a really big challenge. When when you're captain, you get viewed slightly differently and, and things do change. Um, you know, you, you sort of got to think about the conversations that you're having, what you're saying, what impact that might have how often you hang out with certain people and all that sort of stuff that when you're not in that leadership position, you don't give two thoughts to. So uh, that was a little bit of an adjustment period for me early on, um, just understanding perception-wise, you know, what that looks like to to the playing group and and sort of coming to terms with that. I think I struggled with that early doors. Uh, I I often 
wondered or felt like there was maybe one set of rules for the captain and one for, for everybody else. And um, I didn't understand why people thought that, but having sort of gone through the experience and been doing it for a number of years now, I, I've really changed my view on that and really do see it from, from other people's point of view. And um, I think that has helped me as a leader understand the group and, and how you know players look at things. So uh, it certainly took me a while to adjust it at the start though. Do you think you missed out on something through those years then if you, in a sense, can't be just one of the girls? Oh, I'm not sure I'd say that. I think I just probably didn't know how to handle it at the start. And I was probably overthinking it as well. I, I think sometimes you can read too much into things and, and, and you feel things a lot more than what they probably are. So uh, it was just, I guess, because it was so unexpected for me to be taking on that leadership. I didn't have any time to prepare really or, or think about what it might look like. So that was probably the biggest thing is I, I wasn't ready for it and I hadn't actually thought about what that might look like. So it was a bit of an adjustment period at the start, just understanding, um, yeah, sort of where my role fits and, and still trying to be, you know, Meg, who, who was part of the group as well. I, you know, I don't want to be seen as, as any different to any other player. We're all very even and um, are expected to do the same things as well. So Meg, just for a moment, um, in a personal sense, you haven't had it all your own way uh, and the shoulder injury through sort of 16, 17, 18. How did that challenge you personally? Yeah, I think it's had a massive impact on uh, how I view uh, the game and, and also me personally and, and sort of how I um, sort of carry myself now, I guess. Um, you know, before that injury, um, it had all gone pretty smoothly. I'd come into the, the team. I hadn't been injured. I hadn't been dropped. I'd become the captain. We were a very successful team. And uh, I hadn't really had to work through the ups and downs, I guess, um, until this point when uh, I guess I found myself out of the game for, for eight months. And uh, it was a really challenging time. We, we'd just come off the, the World Cup loss uh, to India in 2017 and um, yeah that was a pretty disastrous game to be honest one I, I, I still have nightmares about that game it was just everything went wrong um, and that was my last cricket memory for eight months I didn't get a chance to go out there and and change it I guess um, so yeah that period of time was uh, very challenging um, you know I'm, the, the team played a, an Ashes series during that time and um, yeah I sort of got my first taste of being outside the the bubble, um, which I'd been inside for, for so long and didn't really think too much about it. But once I sort of got over the the first bit about not playing and not being involved, I actually think I learned a lot um, about myself and, and also about how to um, sort of see other people's perceptions and um, in what it feels like to be in a slightly different position. So uh, I think it really helped me personally and as a, as a captain as well just to have a much better understanding of what other players are, are thinking when when they've been dropped or not selected on tours and just to be on the, the outside, which I probably didn't understand. I didn't understand what that felt like up until that point. And, yeah, I think it, it allowed me to have a little bit more em- empathy for, for younger players and, and other players in the team, you know, who, who you know, weren't guaranteed a game every time they were on tour and, and things like that. And uh, I think it really improved me as a... As a person, um, just to be able to understand that sort of personal side and, and relationship side of, of the game and, and life as well, uh, you know, I think it's important that you're able to do that. And I felt like 
I was able to understand it a bit more. And I said empathy before, but you know, unless you've actually been in that position where you feel a little bit outside and and not needed, I think it's pretty hard to to help people. So I felt like it put me in a much better position to be able to to be a leader and um, you know try and get the best out of people. Interesting, really interesting. I, and I, I read where uh, even to the point of going and and watching training or watching games and not even knowing where to sit because you didn't really feel like you were part of the setup it's like did you have the right to be there yeah I remember going to the the test match in the Ashes series and um, I watched that game um, with the team and uh, I, yeah literally every time we went to the change room I just felt like I was in the way every time I didn't know I didn't know where to sit so I literally just stood in the corner the whole time I just wanted to hide and um, you know I, I, when I'm playing and extra people there or people who are not in the squad I never think about that at all. Like I'm not worried about whether they're in the way or what they're doing. But when you're the the person in that position, you just you just think so much more about it and how you're impacting people and things like that. So it just gives you a different perception. So you know, I didn't I didn't know that someone who was who was 12th player or 13th player they would be feeling like that when I was playing because I had never been there. So it, it just sort of gave me a very different perspective on things and. Um, yeah, it, it taught me a lot. I think, you know, at the time I, I hated it, I must admit. Uh, but I think um, looking back on it now, it, it's something that I'm sort of glad I went through. Interesting though, like after that, having that extra sensitivity about how that player would be feeling, did it in a way make things more difficult when it came to the selection table when you were deciding who was in and, and who was out? Did you have to think about things a little more deeply? I guess you've got, you've got an understanding for what the players are feeling um, and and sort of, as I said, until you sort of feel that yourself, it's very difficult to, to comprehend sort of the way they might react to something or, uh, you know, if, if they're not selected and the, the reaction to, you know, that they sort of bring to the table. So it's just sort of having a, yeah, that understanding of where things are coming from and the perception and, and things like that. And um, I guess not so much at selection, but in terms of, conversations you have with players afterwards you know, I, you know in the past when people weren't selected I probably wouldn't spe- really have conversations with them around it because I didn't know what to say whereas after that even though you know being dropped and injured you know probably not the same thing it, you sort of got a similar feeling of being on the outside a little bit so I sort of felt like I was a bit more equipped to be able to have conversations with them and just check in with them and, and make sure they're going okay. And did the girls understand that at the time could they see that change in you? Yeah, I think so. I've I've had sort of yeah a, a fair bit of feedback uh, around that, and that I've sort of been quite different in that sort of respect. And um, yeah, that's sort of nice to hear. Sometimes I guess when you, you're able to sort of understand that maybe you're not good at something, but you've been able to make a shift and and really help you know to improve the team. So yeah, I mean it's not something that I knew perhaps that I wasn't that good at, but I didn't necessarily know how to change it because I didn't really understand it. So it, it just gave me the opportunity to, to be in other people's shoes and, and understand what they're going through. Yeah, another lesson out of adversity. Yeah, absolutely. And as I said, I hated it at the time, but I think now looking back, I think it's made me such you know, a much better leader and, um, and person as well. Now, we will come back to uh, to the here and now, but I'm, I'm interested to take it all the way back to um, when you were a kid. And as I understand it, um, for, for some time, you found it difficult to, because you were a, a young girl who loved her cricket, uh, you found it difficult to... 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Uh, find teams to, to be a part of, to, to play in. Is that right? Yeah, when I came through the, the pathway program, I guess you could call it, there really wasn't any boys teams to, to play in. There weren't um, young you know, young girls teams. There weren't cricket clubs to, to play women's cricket in. So I played a lot of my junior cricket with boys and I loved every moment of it, to be honest. I just wanted to get out there and, and play and, and be part of it. And um, yeah, especially through school, I played in the boys teams there and yeah, I, I just wanted to, to be involved and, and play. So uh, the great thing is it's it's changed a lot over the last few years. There are now so many opportunities for young girls to to play in all girls teams, which I think was a little bit of a barrier in in the past to, to young girls giving up the game. So yeah, there's certainly a lot more opportunity now to to be involved, which is is only a good thing. And what about when you were growing up, um, your heroes who, who in the women's game? Did you have heroes? Could you have heroes? To be honest, I. I didn't really see a lot of women's cricket at all. I didn't know a lot of it existed. Uh, all the cricket that I did watch was men's cricket. Uh, my dad loved cricket. He always had it on the TV. So I'd sort of sit down and, and watch it with him. So I didn't probably realise how big women's cricket was until I, I started playing some pub cricket here in, in Melbourne and um, then sort of moved through the pathway. But, uh, you know, the person that I loved watching was Ricky Ponting. I, I loved watching him both bat and in the field and, and captaincy wise, he, he just looked like he, he had it all under control. And uh, yeah, I just love watching him play. Have you been able to, in the ensuing years, talk to him about captaincy? I haven't. No, I've, I've met him a couple of times, just, just briefly. Um, but no, we haven't sort of sat down and talked about leadership. I've, I've watched him on, on the TV do commentary and, and I know he's done a lot of work with the men's men's Australian team as well. And they, they just rave about him, how, how good he was and, how good he is to, to talk to. So uh, I hope I do get the chance to talk to him because he's yeah, certainly very knowledgeable and, and just knows so much about the game and, and loves the game as well. So just thinking then um, from your progression from being that, that young kid who was really looking at the men's game more than the women's game, it, it strikes me that uh, you have a role now of being a leader in the game more than just for your cricket team. You have an opportunity to be a leader for a, a whole generation of young women, young girls who aspire to to play the game. Is that something that rests easy with you that you're that you're acutely aware of? I was certainly aware of it and understand that we've got. Yeah, our role to play in inspiring the next generation, and and I know as an Australian group we really love that fact, and and the fact that we can have a small impact, I guess, on on the next generation coming through, and and that's you know one of the biggest things about the World Cup just gone is for young girls to be able to see that on the the TV or be at the ground and know that that opportunity is out there that will make a massive difference. So yeah, it's something I guess that we've had to learn along the way and get used to along the way, but if you actually sort of step back and think about it, it's, it's pretty cool to be able to show some, some young girls coming through what's possible. So, uh, yeah, we enjoy that side of it and, and hopefully we are doing that. And hopefully in 10, 15 years time, it's, 
it's a you know a much better game than what it is now. You would have to think that in in ten or fifteen years that there is a whole generation of kids who sat and watched whether they were in the crowd at the MCG a few weeks ago or whether they were watching on TV that will remember that game. And I think both boys and girls, um, you know, we've all got a favourite game, whether it be a World Cup final or, or a semi-final over the years. You'd have to think that that game would would be right up there for a whole generation of, uh, of new fans. Absolutely. And, and you mentioned boys and girls there. And I think that's been the biggest shift for me is that, it's not just young girls coming to our games or wanting our autographs and photos. It's actually young boys as well. And, and that's the great thing is that they don't know any different. Sport is sport to them. And I think that's such a great thing that's developing around the world and in Australia as well is that the next generation coming through just see men's or women's sport as, as the same thing. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it was an amazing game and it was an amazing event, the the whole build-up, the, the amount of people that turned up and, uh, you know, I know – some young girls have said it was sort of the best night of their life. Like that's pretty cool to have been involved in an event where so many young girls, you know, had such a great night and we enjoyed it a hell of a lot. And, and it's great to see so many other people do this well. So in, in a sense, um, I'm going to ask you about principles or, or your non-negotiables for leadership, but um, in some ways you've probably got a set uh, of non-negotiables and principles that you live by when it comes to being a, a leader for that new generation of, of girls, but also some that uh, exist for your team as well. So let's talk about in terms of that um, that leadership for that new generation. What are the things that you really are aware of and you want to achieve all the time when you're interacting with the kids? Well, I think the, the first thing is to enjoy what you do and have fun. And, and that's why we actually start playing the game you know at a very young age you play because it's it's fun and I don't think that should be lost when you do reach the elite level and it, it's something that we speak about a lot as a group and and I hope that young girls watching us play do see the enjoyment that we get out of it because that is such an important part of of sport and I think that's the best thing about sport is how how fun it is um yeah and I guess the other thing is just the way we go about it and the way we carry ourselves. We're, we're role models, whether we like it or not. Uh, and, you know, again, as a group, we speak about it a lot in terms of the way we're, we're seen as a team and, and we want to um, be one who's very respectful, um, understands the history of the game uh, and, yeah, also is, is sort of, you know, just treating everyone um equally really so yeah I think you know that's our important message that we need to get out there and and hopefully people who see our team do see that and what about uh in that team environment I guess those things do carry over but what are the things that you really demand from your team uh it's a team sport so uh it's pretty cliche but it's actually putting the the team first in everything that you do and and to be honest we don't have a lot of rules as a team we've got a We've got our uh, values that um, we've got and, and there's not a lot of wording in them. There's, there's sort of a little bit of scope for, for individuals to, to make their own decisions and actually allow people to decide for themselves because I think that's important as well is, is having the trust in the players that you've got to, to make the right decisions. Um, so I guess team first is, is really important for us and I think it's pretty clear what, what that looks like Um you know, when, when you sort of got a decision to make, I think everyone understands what that is. And I guess the next thing is our sort of style of play and how we want to go about it. And, and we've spoken publicly a lot about this, about being fearless and taking the game on and um, 
trying to sort of drive the game forward. And, and, and that comes back to the team first as well, because if you know you're going out there and, and perhaps taking a bit of a risk or playing in a different way and it doesn't come off, then the next person coming in is doing exactly the same thing. They're not there playing for themselves, um, sort of just trying to worry about what they're doing. So that's been a bit of a shift we've made uh, over the last few years and uh, I think it's really led us to being to be very successful. They're really lessons in life, aren't they? I mean, anybody could apply that to their you know, their relationships or their business or their their team sport at a local level, even even their family, you know, that that, that team first ethos works in all sorts of areas. It does, absolutely, and, and that's the great thing about sport is it, it teaches you life lessons. Uh, you've got to work together. Um, you've got to try and bring other people's strengths to, to the table and try and use them as best you can, and, um, you know, that's what happens in cricket. So that's why I've enjoyed playing so much, enjoyed playing sports so much. Um, I love being part of a team because it just teaches you a lot of things and, and things you can carry on into to life as well. Can you take us onto the field for a moment? Um, give us some examples of moments that uh, you've really been challenged as a leader in games, situations in matches where you've had to really think about what you're doing, how you're seen uh, to the rest of the team, how you're seen to uh, to the you know cricket fans. Well, give us some of those examples. Uh, I think I've... I think there's been a couple of examples where that probably hasn't happened, and then we've sort of me and or me and the team have sort of learnt um, how to deal with that a little bit better. So I mean, a, a couple of those moments would be the, the World Cup semi-final 2017, where Harman Prekor, um pretty much single-handedly knocked us out of the World Cup, and I remember back in back in that moment we, we were deers in the headlights. I was the same. Uh, Everything moved so quickly. We didn't take a moment to calm things down, and, and I didn't lead the way in that, and that was a really big learning curve for, for me, and um, I think that's really shifted uh, how I sort of view games and, and people coming really hard at us. I think T20 cricket especially, teams come so hard, and you've got to be able to sort of absorb a fair bit, and we, you know, we as a team and my, myself probably didn't understand how to do that as well as we, we probably could have. So um, I think this, this recent World Cup is a really good um, example of that, um, you know, especially the New Zealand game and the South Africa game where uh, we were under the pump a fair bit. And I remember a few moments where I've sort of gone up to the bowl and actually just said, I've actually got nothing to say to you here, but we're just going to take a moment to slow things down and make sure we're in control. And um, I thought the, yeah, the New Zealand game and the South Africa game, the, the most recent World Cup sort of examples of, um, myself doing that, but also the team understanding, and, I, and sort of I understand that I've got a pretty big role to play, and it's important that I lead the way in that. So um, the way I approach other teams coming hard at us now is very different, and it, it sort of doesn't make me as nervous, which uh, I think is good. You never, you never stop learning, do you? You never, you know, the little tricks and tricks of the trade like that. Uh, I imagine are things that you just put away in the locker and uh, and pull them out when you need to. Absolutely. You know, every game's different. Uh, you know, different things happen in, in games. Uh, you know, every time you go out there and play and you just don't know what's going to happen. And one thing I have learned is that no matter how much planning you do or how much you think um, about what's going to happen, uh, the 
the moment you go out there, things change and it's always different to what you thought it was going to be. And unless you're able to adapt, you, you won't be able to be successful. And, and that's the, the biggest thing is, is planning as much as you can, but then be willing to, to try a different direction and, and move somewhere else and, um, you know, make sure you're looking at what's in front of you instead of just um, going with with plan A, I guess. And in that constant quest to get better as a leader, um, who have you lent on in terms of, you know, people uh, in other sports perhaps or, you know, do you do a lot of reading perhaps? Who, who have you sort of lent on to, uh, to, to grow personally? Belinda Clark is within cricket, uh, but she's someone who I've spoken to a fair bit about leadership. She took over... Uh, the captain's at a very young age as well and but uh, other than that I do read it a fair bit um you know sort of autobiographies and and you know past leaders and and sort of what their thoughts are on things so I'm pretty open to that sort of stuff uh, you know I'm sort of you know, pretty happy to to understand and, and see things from other people's perspective and then see how I can adapt that to, to what we're doing let's bring it back to uh, the here and now and out of the back of the the world cup win I imagine that you were looking to you know, just get away from it all. What What did you have planned before you um, became locked down in in self uh, self isolation? Uh, well, we were supposed to be on a uh, trip to South Africa. Obviously, that got sort of postponed. So, um, you know, once that finished up, we were actually supposed to head on to some some leave, um, our, our break for the for the year. So, it was supposed to be a pretty quiet time for for us anyway. But uh, I do usually use this time of year to catch up with a whole different lot of people who I don't have the chance to during the season. So uh, obviously that's happening via Skype and Zoom and house party, I think's the the most recent. <laughs> yes. so, uh, yeah, that's how that's happening at the moment. So I uh, had to sort of adjust there a little bit. But it, it was going to be a, a quiet time anyway. So um, it's probably not too, too bad timing for us. And what are you doing to keep yourself busy, stop yourself from going stir crazy? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Oh, a few different things. Um, I've got a home gym set up, uh, which I've been using a fair bit. I go crazy if I have to sit still for any amount of time. So uh, I'm happy that that's all sorted. Uh, I'm going to look to do a little bit of study, um, probably a sort of a business sports management sort of course. I'm just looking to lock that in over the, the next week or so, um, which will be important for me. I think I need to have something to, to focus on and sort of have a bit of a goal. I'm pretty pretty good once I've got my mind set on something but if I float along and don't have too much I'll, I'll get bored pretty quick so uh yeah they're probably the, the couple of things that I'll do keep active as, as much as I can and then try and study a little bit it's interesting isn't it because um you know we use that term stop us from going stir crazy keeping busy but mental health is going to be a huge issue out of the back of what we're going through now it is absolutely and uh you know, we're going to have to adapt and, and try different things. And um, I mentioned before the house party app and Zoom and things like that, they're going to become so important in staying connected to to your friends and your teammates and, and things like that. So, you know, we've spoken a lot a group of, as a group about how we can stay connected and look out for each other. And, um, you know, we've been doing that pretty well so far, but uh, we're only at the start of it by the sounds of it. So it's going to be a really big challenge moving forward. But, uh, yeah, as a, as a group, we've been able to adapt pretty well. And uh, I guess it's just looking out for each other and, and caring for each other. That's the biggest thing. And, um, you know, I think if we can do that, that's certainly going to help. And even in that scenario, do you find yourself having to take the lead there? Uh, a little bit. Uh, myself and Rachel have been chatting a bit how, about how we can keep the, the group connected and little things we can do. So um, we've got a few group chats set up. 
uh, that will allow people to come in if they want to. We're not sure how many we're going to get. It'll be interesting to, to see the numbers. So, uh, yeah, it's just giving people opportunity if they, they want to. As I, as I said before, we are actually going into a break, so people will um, sort of push the stop button, I guess, and, and take a break. But, uh, you know, I think there's a, you know, most people still, um, you know, need that connection and um, social interaction. So we're, we'll try and facilitate that as much as we can and try and get um, a little bit funky with it as well. We're going to have to think outside the box around how we keep people engaged. Indeed. And uh, in many ways, I guess you guys in terms of on field have been reasonably fortunate. You managed to get through that World Cup before it started and uh, and before the pandemic started. And then, you know, hopefully the worst of it will be over before we see you back in action in the Australian summer. Um, what about going forward? How do you want your team and and how do you as a leader play a part in this to get even better uh, because the world chases you now? Absolutely. It's a, it's a really big challenge for us. And I think, you know, we, we were challenged a few years ago after that 50 over world cup in 2017, where, um, you know, we, we probably were operating at about 80, 85% and, and getting away with it. Um, but we, we got found out in that world cup and we were able to sort of step up since then. We've been very successful at, at world cups, but again, I think we've got another challenge ahead of us. Uh, there's so many really good teams out there who are improving all the time and, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be difficult for us to, to do that. So, I think our group is extremely motivated to to keep getting better and improving and looking at what's ahead. And I guess the next big challenge for us is the 50 over World Cup, um, which is early next year, which we'll be looking forward to. And um, now we can actually look into. I was speaking to someone before and they said, oh, what about 50 over cricket? And uh, I was like, I haven't even thought about it. Have we even played 50 over cricket in the last year? It's all been about T20 cricket. So our mindset is going to have to shift a a fair bit. And we've got a bit of time to, to do that, I guess. But yeah, I mean, always trying to challenge each other and, and get better. And uh, we speak a lot about um, being a great team. And, um, you know, I think we're working our way towards that. But, uh, you know, it's not only, um, you know, it's winning and, and trying to win as many games as we can, but it's just about how we sort of carry ourselves and, and how we're able to, to keep getting better as a group. So um, the motivation within the group is certainly there. And, um, yeah, I guess we're looking forward to that 50 over World Cup. Meg, thanks so much for uh, for joining us today. And uh, obviously, it is strange times for for all of us. But you know, we look forward to seeing you girls back on the park as soon as possible and continuing to inspire a generation. Thanks for joining us on the Playmakers Playbook. No worries at all. Thanks for having me. The wisdom of Meg Lanning on this week's Playmakers Playbook right there is one of the major reasons our women's cricket team has been so successful over such a long period of time. The Playmakers Playbook is available wherever you get your favourite podcasts, including iTunes, Spotify and Deezer. Make sure you subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, give us a rating on iTunes or simply tell a friend. I look forward to your company next week on the Playmakers Playbook. Mom. 
mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.